Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. You're listening to the GAA Hour with Darren O'Sullivan on Sports Joe. Hi there, you're very welcome along to the GAA Hour with me, Darren O'Sullivan. There was a bit of a break in the men's football this week, but we're delighted to say that there was great action in Crow Park in the Division 1 and 2 finals. I'm delighted to be joined here by Denise Masterson and Michelle Ryan. How are you? You were both in Crow Park yesterday. You're very welcome, Darren. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Synchronised. This is great. That wasn't planned. <laughs> But um, yeah, so there was two great games in Crow Park. It's a bit defensive. Luckily for me, Kerry won, so I'm always happier coming in on a Monday after that. But um, we was going to start with the Mead game. You were both there. Like, what was the atmosphere like? Because on TV, it was actually hard to know what kind of crowd was there. And it was hard to see what kind of what the atmosphere was like. From a crowd perspective, I suppose, look, it wouldn't have been... Do you know, a huge crowd there by any stretch of the imagination. I thought it was a bit flat at times, mm. but the atmosphere I think grew more so in the second half when I think things got a bit uncertain for the for Mead. Mead always bring a great crowd. They yeah, always have. The, uh, yeah, <coughs> the Mead supporters, in fairness to them, they really got on board this whole wave, this green wave. And uh, I mean, I think there were seven thousand for the round three league game against Dublin. So I mean, that's phenomenal in eighties football for a league mm. game. Um, I mean, it didn't seem as many there yesterday, I suppose. Um, I don't know if Donegal would have travelled in big numbers either. But um, I mean, the meat crowd, in fairness, got behind them. They were vocal, yeah. but in terms of numbers, no, I don't. I don't know what the actual number was, but there wasn't a... It wouldn't have been the crowd maybe you were expecting. Yeah. But I suppose from me's point of view, they're on a fierce run of form. Like, in, from the, like I look at stuff from the men's game, like it just shows what the tiered system can do because... The last couple of years they've been incredible like, and obviously people weren't expecting them maybe to beat Dublin last year but they're just going from strength to strength and even yesterday they probably weren't at their best. They looked a bit defensive but from a psychological point of view they're very strong mentally now with a fierce belief and the job um, the manager's doing there is incredible. It's amazing to be honest and I think when you look back and I know a lot has been said about them since they won the All-Ireland last year they obviously learned their lessons from losing Intermediate All-Irelands came back won the Intermediate All-Ireland they won Division 2 last year and then went on to win the Senior All-Ireland while still being Division 2 mm. and then coming in and, and winning Division 1 this year. I mean, you can't, there is no more of an impressive role that, that I can think of from any team, but it's, it's, it's incredibly good for ladies football. I can't stress that enough. Mm. And I know I have a Dublin woman sitting beside me, <laughs> but I suppose the dominance of Dublin and Cork in the last 15, 16 years um, has been incredible to watch and they have been the benchmarkers but for every other county. And I think it leads to why Mead brings such a following to games that they do as well, because it has absolutely revitalised the sport. Um, you have the men and the women following the team. You have youngsters following the team. Even that time the underdogs played them up in Mead, the crowd they even brought to that kind of yeah. a game is phenomenal. So, And I think you're right. I think Eamon Murray has a massive part, part to play in that and the unity that has been in that team in the last year and a half. They, are, they do play a defensive system, but they've kind of... I suppose mastered that that group defence to break quickly into attack, and I think Donegal tried to do that group that kind of cluster defence yesterday. It's not their natural game. They do have a really sharp attack as well, but 
Meath have mastered that and it's about how they I suppose progress from that now how do they develop that because other teams are copying on to that and are going to probably come up with systems to try and prevent it Oh look they're, I think they're just the best coach team I've seen in a long time and should go further back than that they won Division 3 in 2019 like yeah. so they've won Division 3 mm-hmm. Division 2 Division 1 I mean they hit a couple of losses at Intermediate All-Ireland Final Levels and I think they've learned so much but I just think the strength of the group and, you know, Eamon Murray, the manager, I, I think he's brilliant. I think mm. just how he speaks off the cuff and, you know. I, I heard an interview too. <laughs> yeah, you've probably heard a few of them, you know, or even calling them underdogs heading in. Like they're yeah. all Ireland champions and he's calling them underdogs. But it's, you know, they just seem to have, there's a bit of a carefree element to it. And yet they're so structured in how they play the game within a wild abandon when they're attacking then, you know, because... I'd feel like when we're always talking about me being such a defensive team, it nearly gives this idea that maybe they're boring to watch. Yeah. I love watching Mead play football. Like they have such individual players. They all know their role. There's generally no standout player. I mean, I know they Vicky Wall, Emma Duggan, but from one to fifteen, like yesterday there were other players again who probably stood up. So look whatever they're doing, but they just seem to be very much galvanized at the moment from the management team down. Yeah, he said that after as well. He goes, every day there's a different hero, which is great. Mm. It is great for the group as well that there's not the same two and three names all the time. But watching it myself yesterday, I was kind of looking at Emma Duggan going, she's with the keeper up a small bit because she looked a bit tired at times because it is such a high energy game. And you probably get away with it in most fields other than Crow Park because it's just so big. And I know from trying to be up and down, I can get back, but I can't get back up. <laughs> yeah. So it is very tough. A lot of us are like that, sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But that was, I was there going, she worked so hard going up and then I just wanted to see the more attacking side of her game going forward. So maybe something like that they might tweak because we've seen with other teams when they have a system in place and it is very good and it gets you so far, people do start to figure it out. So it'll be interesting to see where they go with it from here. But their, their run of form is amazing like it's fairy tale stuff really like it is and they actually lull you into a false sense of security <laughs> as well I think at times because I suppose they, they do push up and they leave a massive space behind them on their opposition kickouts and if, if the opposition keeper can clear that you know mm. they're, they're in trouble but they just managed to, to have that system working so well and you talked about Emma Duggan and I thought Emma Duggan is she's an I mean, absolutely amazing player probably a little bit more of a quieter game yesterday mm. than we were used to seeing from her but she, you know, she still had the impact. She still got on the end of a kickout for Monica McGurk to feed Vicky Wall through the centre to end up with Kelsey Nesbitt in front of goal. And it was incredible to see Kelsey Nesbitt getting 1-1, I think it was yesterday. That um, She scored a goal against Mayo as well a few weeks ago. She was out of the game for 14 months with a shoulder injury. Um, and like you said, was uh, like was a hero then, mm. you know, over the last two games. Like you said, there, there's there's numerous of uh, players like that among their ranks. Um, they're not reliant on one or two. And, and that's the sign of a good team. Yeah, and even the goal there by Neve Sullivan, I'd always say, you know, you'd be telling forwards to get out in front just ducking him behind long ball over because I used to always be looking for long ball I'd rather be running towards <laughs> goal than running out in front and then I always find you know you're always telling the forwards get out in front there but you have to win the ball you have to turn beat your marker and then do the hard thing and finish whereas good moving around the back ball over the top and the finish was exceptional as well. And like we said, she's been a stalwart for me for a long time. Oh look she's as cute as a fox and yeah. she was huge yesterday. I mean even just watching her um when she's not on in the picture um, on the television, like she just hugs that sideline. She mm. just stands there. She knows her position. And again, it's a, a down to knowing the role. And she's always an outlet. Like it's so hard to break them down because she just hugged that sideline for so long yesterday. And then all of a sudden pops in, give and go, putting it over the bar herself. But for the goal, I thought the ball from Emma Troy. And, I mean, she was her corner back last year. She's playing centre back this year. But to feed it through the middle, just to back themselves yeah. or to have that faith in each other, to put the ball where she knew Neve was heading to. And her finish was... Like her finish was superb, but yeah. like I mean, she was off balance. She was turning. She had her back to go. Like it was a super finish. But for me, Neva Sullivan would be really one of those unsung. Like I think she's really instrumental in that Meads team in terms of they've all the different personalities. And to me, she's the wily kind yeah. of fox on the team. I just I really rate her in terms of her vision of what's going on up in that forward line. I think that goal actually was the winning of the game for me, to mm. be honest, because I know we kind of differ a little bit on this, but I I do think Meads were kind of clinging on a little bit because it didn't look like things were going fully according to plan and they weren't completely as comfortable maybe you know, as I've seen them in other games and they went for a long period of time there without scoring I, I think from the 23rd minute of the first half up until Orla Lally I think got a point uh, midway through the second half or coming up to the water break in the second half they hadn't scored mm. um, and 
I think halftime came at the wrong time for Donegal to be honest because they were just after getting a bit of momentum and Meads weren't having it all their own way and they needed those scores badly and Orlalali's point followed by Nevo Sullivan's goal I think were really crucial in helping Meads kind of see out that game um, Donegal really really threatened and if they had been able to convert some of the incredible chances that they had especially I suppose in the last dying minutes I think they had two or three chances of points yeah. And just just couldn't put them over. Yeah, and like the, we don't want to get too obsessed with just Mead. Obviously, yeah. the one, but Donegal. Like uh, when I was watching, the, I was there. I think um, Mead run up by five points to one, and I nearly sent a tweet, being smart, going, "Oh, I think this game is over." Yeah. Luckily, it didn't because, <clears> in fairness, the turnaround was the ten or ten or so minutes before halftime and after halftime. It was incredible, and they probably could have, should have, would have. You know, it's one of them ones that they'll be thinking, "What if they could have kicked on, kicked another couple of scores?" But their reaction to going five one down was incredible. Yeah, and that way Von Bonner actually it was the first point that Donegal got from play. I think it was about, like you said, maybe eight minutes to go in the mm. in the first half, you know, and it was the first time they'd probably moved the ball with a bit more pace or intensity. And, you know, like I suppose to a couple of things like in saying about the mead defence and that they're so well drilled, but that teams will come up again come up with something to break it down. Like, I think Donegal had tried. I think Donegal knew that they'd have 14 players behind the ball and they were trying to... It, it wasn't working. It was too, mm. probably, pedestrian and lateral across the pitch. And it was the first time, probably, I think it was Katie Aaron from midfield and probably Neve McLaughlin were involved in a bit of pace, a bit of give and go that Yvonne got the first score. And I thought what was interesting there was when Donegal put the press on the kickouts, they'd been talking a lot. Yvonne Bonner, Karen Guthrie, they were really organising the forwards and they started putting press on Monica Gurk's kickouts and that's when they got a few scores, that's when they got the goal. I think they ended up going 1-2 after Yvonne's mm. point then and without reply from Mead, but it was because they had them pinned in. But then back to Mead systems, I thought it was so interesting that they just kept at it. Monica, she didn't get rattled, she kept doing what she does in goal, like her range of kickouts was very good, but I agree with you, I think halftime just came at the wrong time because Donegal had their tails up, they were putting pressure on that kickout and one or two scores before halftime, particularly with the sin bin, and I think would have made a big difference to Donegal. Yeah, like that, I suppose Mead's recent experience of winning games, winning championship games, winning trophies, probably got them over the line because I suppose coming down the stretch there was only a couple of points and it was two points in it and it was just decision making I felt from Donegal a couple of bad wides maybe forcing a little bit even late on it was kind of a case of who's going to take on the shots at times and seemed to be going to the wrong players at the wrong time and they did have a few goal chances mm. as well and it took Monica McGurk a fantastic save Super from Jordy McLaughlin as well um, I know Evelyn McGinley ended up in front of goal in the dying minutes of the game as well and uh, yeah I, I think it was just maybe some sh- shot selection and not, maybe not working it, working it in a little bit closer to goal kind of um, that Donegal will have rude at the end of the day but I mean there were some interesting tactics as well I thought from Donegal because they obviously identified how strong Meath are on, on the run and on the solar run right right up the middle um, and they won a lot of frees by just standing their ground and, and resulting in, in charging and I know some some of the decisions were probably a little bit I suppose you could debate them, to be honest, but but it was it was a tactic I would suggest on behalf of Maxi Kern and Donegal to to really stop those strong, powerful mm. runs up the middle, and they were turned over ball and um and Neve McLaughlin won player of the match. I thought so at certain stages in the second and third quarter of the game, she really worked so hard around that middle sector of the field, dispossessing and supplying, and she really kind of instrumentally supplies the ball inside. And um, I I thought that was probably something interesting, and I, and I think Donegal did benefit. It's just a pity they couldn't convert it on the scoreboard to actually show that good work that they were doing at around there. Yeah, and the full forward line for Donegal, I think everyone was really excited to see. I mean, they're a super fun full forward line with mm. Yvonne, Jerry McLaughlin and, and Karen Guthrie in there. But uh, again, and I know we're not supposed to be talking about Mead, but I, you know, they're, su- they're such lighter players, yeah. you know, and I thought they're coming up now against a really physical team. Like Donegal are always physical, always have been. Um, and I, I was just interested to see, like, I know Mary Kate got sent off, got the yellow card for a penalty, which even I was debating, but it was, it was a penalty. But, <laughs> come on well, but, you know, but anyway, but in fairness, like, I just thought she did such a good job under the high ball with Yvonne and I was expecting that mismatch. I mean, that was something new for me. Mm. These two teams hadn't faced off and it was a new challenge in terms of that physicality or that strength and size in the full forward line. And again, like Katie Noon in the corner as well, like they did really, really well to meet full back line. But in fairness to Donegal, I think that they snatched that a few chat- a few chances I think that they will be really disappointed with their wides I yeah. mean they probably had a few opportunities maybe to put a bit more distance between them 
and I, the girls just snatched maybe they were working so hard to get the ball up there I felt that maybe they thought they had to get it off quickly yeah. but they were the wrong shot options and I think they'll know that themselves It's always easier in the studio it talking is. Yeah it is yeah. <laughs> We remember we what it was like that. when we were on the pitch hearing these kind of comments You mentioned some of the decisions by the referee and it was um, Evan Telty I hope you don't mind me mentioning him he's involved with Claire. I saw and he, it yeah, yeah and he tweeted about how often <laughs> it's happening players just standing in front hands up and it's always a free given he reckons it something has to change, and it must be frustrating that people know players know what they can get away with now, and it's just maybe it's just stopping the game. Oh, look, I mean, some of them, you know, <coughs> charging is charging, yeah, and if mm. it's a deliberate and it's very, you know, but there were a couple of calls yesterday where I felt, you know, there was one Emma Duggan maybe in the first half as well that I, I just felt her a little hard done by one where Vicky Wall went up to win a ball. I think there yeah. might have been three Donegal players around her and she came down with it. I, I don't know what the contact was there and I think it, that just gets players frustrated, I suppose, when there's a lack of inconsistent, lack mm. of consistency or you don't know what the call is. But um, I mean, no, look, there's a definite need for that to be a free if it's deliberate charging or you try and run through. But I felt some of them yesterday, maybe it was just at the angle the player turned, if it was yeah. a shoulder in, the ref was given it. But... And I mean, it's a tough one, I suppose. How do you get clarity on that one in terms of the intent? Or I, I suppose there has to be some sign that the attacking player is looking to go around, I suppose, through the defender. But I felt a few of them calls were a little bit dodgy yesterday. And it's something I think has been talked about a lot in the ladies' game anyway, do you know, about yeah. the level of physicality that is allowed and maybe should be allowed um, because... You know the, the the brand of football that's being played is is to a very high standard, mm. very skillful, and sometimes I feel that there doesn't need to be as much stop start, maybe as there is um, at times. Um, I agree with you. Some of those decisions yesterday, I I do think those the charging ones were, were fairly merited. Um, you know it is, and I think it, it is a lot of cuteness as well, and the and the lacks of other teams to be able to, you know go along that line yeah. carefully just to see how far they can go with things like that but I think there is still a bit of talking to be done about you know maybe the level of physicality that should be allowed but where do you draw the line what what you classify as you know a, a legal physical challenge as opposed to not being have, having physical contact yeah, It's always going to be a debate but I suppose the game has come on so much and players are doing so much in the gym and the physicality and the strength mm. of players has come on so much you want it the players want it as well they want a exactly. bit of, they want a bit of contact but like that I suppose it's the same in every game it's the referees one referee thinks it's too physical the other one doesn't think yeah. it's great so it's, it's going to be a hard one to mm -hmm. judge but we've no doubt both of these teams will be pushing on the championship um, later on but we're going to go down to Division 2 I'm delighted to say Kerry came out on top <laughs> waiting for that I was only just trying to finish up with yeah, that yeah, game yeah. get to the real get yeah. to the real juice here now yeah but um, it was third time lucky for Kerry They've been knocking on the door. Um, new team, we talked about it off air, like a lot of young players coming through. So like they didn't look like they were going to win it for the most part, to be fair. So they had a bit of a super sub coming on, doing the damage. But where do you think that game was won and lost? Um, I actually, in fairness, I suppose I would have played it a lot against Kerry in, in, in over the years. And um, we actually defeated them in 2019 league final. Um, they were defeated by Meads in the twenty twenty one league final last year. So they've, they and I, I think they've been doing a lot of building and they've there's been a lot of transition. You're right. There's been a lot of I suppose transition of players um, and managements over the last we'll say five six years as well. Um, but the the performance I saw from them yesterday. While I suppose it wasn't the most epic of games, it, it, they impressed me because I suppose I could see the development and the improvement that's coming within them in the last few years. They were, we have to remember as well, they were without a number of key players that had decided not to make themselves available this year. The likes of Fiat, Fina Tagney, who was captain of the UL uh, um, O'Connor Cup winning team. Um, Hannah O'Donoghue was an incredible partner in crime, I would call her, to Louisa Marhartig over the last mm. number of years and Emma Deneen. So they, they were missing and you would think, and also you have obviously the, the retirement of, of Ashling Desmond, a yeah. captain, stalwart fullback for, for I don't know how long at this stage. So you would be thinking, and I th I'd be, I put my hand up and say I was guilty of thinking coming into the game that this mightn't go too well for them um, but I was impressed with how they started the game they started at a lightning pace they they coped well with the flashes that came from our man you know, the brilliance of skill that you see from the likes of Amy Mackin um, who finished up with six points but I mean they were able to, to embrace and kind of keep going and pushing I thought their defence was absolutely excellent I, I can't say enough about the likes of Kayleigh Cronin and Caught Lynch yesterday because they just stood shoulders above 
so many others on the pitch there in their tenacity and their fighting and they were so aware of the threat that was around them um, like I'm, I, I know there's a lot of talk about Amy Mackin but she is one of the top I'll call her ballers in the country mm. like she she really is and there's a lot of awareness and attention needed when when she's around and um, I was sitting there on the on the Hill 16 end watching the Kerry defence at one stage uh, organising how to when the ball was at the other end of the field how to mark her and Kaylee Cronin her, her com- level of communication just sweeping across in front of her yesterday. was yeah. amazing it was absolutely phenomenal but I, I as like you said the super sub but all, also just I think even a lot of the stalwarts on the team really rose to the occasion yesterday I thought they, I, I thought they were fully deserving of it to be honest they were fully deserving of it. Kaylee Cronin for me was probably man of the match and like when you think that she's stepping into Ashling Desmond's shoes as well, mm-hmm. like big role. But I mean, I spotted her from the get go, like when the ball was up to her, she didn't stop talking. Yeah. She didn't stop talking in that back line, you know. And again, like you said, coming up against Amy Mackin and what the, the fire and power I suppose of her mat. <clears throat> but for me, Kaylee Cronin was phenomenal. But I don't know. I actually think... Um, I think Kerry were very much relying on uh, Danielle O'Leary coming in and changing the tempo in the forward line. I think they were playing well, but they just didn't look lethal enough. They weren't maybe, I mean, all she did was come on and decide she was going to take the ball and go very simply and direct at them. And whether she got the goal or she set up a few frees that Louise then could tap over. But I really think she was the changing of the game for Mm -hmm. Kerry. And I think they grew in confidence when she came on in the second half. And then I felt that they rose to the challenge. But I think it took that shift in the forward line which I felt she brought for Kerry maybe to get going the way you'd wonder why they couldn't do it from the start Yeah sometimes you can't beat a bit of youthful exuberance oh, to be fair like yeah. in carefree abandon Yeah you just go like she has the pace and the power and it's the hardest thing to stop in sport Yeah, pace and power someone's running at you you see it in every sport I don't know what you're supposed to do with it but she came on like you said made a big difference getting big scores was involved in fouls in bins so for a 19 year old to come in and do that like it, it, it's always going to be great and it just adds to the pressure of the people starting now going into championship because you have someone chomping at the pit to get in there and it, it's always good as a management and even as a team when you have someone that can come off the bench that has that pace and she might be stuck with that role for a while I, I, I wasn't too bad at it when I was younger when I, was, I started to slow down later on I wasn't as good <laughs> but when you're younger and you're winning and you feel like you're contributing to the win it actually makes it easier to be on the bench because you go right I have a role here so it might be something to carry keep in in the in the bench for later on in the year but you just don't know but like yesterday just the attitude like I've just found it was just it was like a youthful exuberance as I said mm. come on give me the ball leave me go at him let's see what they can do yeah. and I find it hard to beat that excitement then now it doesn't get you Overline all the time, but at the start, certain types of games, you just need someone just to go do yeah. something different and show a bit of bravery. Well, I was also wondering, like for the age of her as well, like was she sitting on the bench and had she identified? Mm. There's room. There was like a lot of room in behind that Armagh defence, like to attack. And for me, she looked like someone who's been sitting on the bench. And maybe you're right. Maybe she'd be happy to come on as that so. But I didn't know if it was someone sitting on the bench say, I could be doing this better. Yeah. And she came in and like she definitely threw her hat in the ring there for a starting fifteen spot in terms of she identified what where the weakness was in the Armagh defence and it was in behind it and she knew if she beat that player I was actually surprised that Armagh didn't maybe put somebody else there exactly. or have a little sweeper mm. playing around in front for them because she'd identified that space and it was very hard because I think it was numerous people ended up marking her at some stage I mean she beat them all at ease nearly yeah. it was like you know she just had gone straight for goal in in her mind so uh, it's it's funny you were slant on it because I was thinking God she's sitting on that bench saying they won't leave me on it again now because yeah. I'm going to show them when I get on there <laughs> and she did That's the question what do they do now do you know and like it's an incredible time to do it and if league final in Crow Park she comes on and has that impact but leading into championship now what do what do you do do you have her as her Yeah it depends the on the pitch sub? Yeah It depends on the pitch because yeah. I would have always felt felt um, Crow Park is where I love playing obviously it's Crow Park but I'd always go there's space everywhere yeah. I don't care like even the most defensive teams there's always going to be pockets of space that you can run into it's very hard to actually nail someone down in Crow Park there's always space and like going into championship months championship the pitches won't be as big they'll be a bit tighter mightn't suit her as much it might be a case of we leave her leave the game kind of pan out a small bit it always gets a bit scattered a bit tired legs come on that's where the damage is done and that's what the manager used to tell me anyway but, <laughs> <laughs> but that, <laughs> it's, it's, the blow. it's not an easy role like it's not no. an easy role and then and it takes a lot of mental preparation as well because everybody wants to be on the pitch you want to be on the pitch for the entire game if you if you possibly can and it takes a lot of 
I suppose, and like she's young, you know, she's hungry to get out there. Mm. She's hungry to, to 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 get as much game time as possible and to to stamp her mark. To, that mental kind of preparation you need mm. to say right okay this is my role as mm. you said and maybe I'll only feature for this amount of time and to have that kind of impact that takes a lot I think and I always this is me kind of going right do I want to start the game and do all the parade and all that stuff and come off with 40 minutes 45 do I want to be coming on for the last 15-20 minutes and winning the game instead of sitting on the bench tired watching someone else win it so she's getting the yeah, limelight yeah, now there's true. a selfish that's point true. of view as well so you have to, you have to we could twist the narrative anyway I always felt and well the manager used to fool me into thinking I'd rather be bringing you on when the other team retired than taking you off the fool here went oh yeah good plan yeah. <laughs> well I actually had the same role actually in, in 2015 in our, in our intermediate campaign and do you know at the start at the start of that you're, you're it kind is hard of, it's, you it's, want it's to be tough on. and look that's that would be me as an experienced player mm. so she's young she's got so many years ahead of her um, it, it's, I suppose it's a selfish thing as well do you know what I mean you just want to be out there but I agree with you totally like you just have to have that mental shift to say where can I make an impact and if I come on am I going to make an impact or to make sure that this is my role and this continues to be my role and that it, you know it's something that works for the for the entire team but I, I see in fairness the only thing I would say about Kerry is this year going forward like apart from maybe her role off the bench maybe yesterday yeah. the strength and depth <clears> in the panel then is where maybe you might question coming into mm. to championship season so um, look it's Having said that, it's an incredible um, start to the, the championship preparation for them. Um, it's probably the boost they needed. And I have to mention Louise Neymar-Hertig because, I mean, we've all played against her for absolute years. I've played with her in UCC and with Munster and she is an absolute Trojan mm. and she has, I suppose, carried... It's 15 season, is it? 15 season. She has carried, I suppose, the responsibility of the that... Kerry attack for, for so so long and incredibly talented and skillful player and to see her have a good day in Crow Park collecting a trophy yesterday I thought was absolutely spectacular and again I was defending her soon then <laughs> <laughs> I was going to get those in my this next one, question yeah. <laughs> no look it was a high tackling that you know I felt the Armagh girl was bending down at the time and I suppose Louise hadn't been ticked or you know it wouldn't be her style of play look it was the simping tackle <laughs> Yeah, well, I was listening to you two talking about it as well. Forwards mentality in yeah. terms of when can I be on the pitch yeah. and my thing, yeah. How can we make this about me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, I know, look, it was, but I look, it's just not in Louise's style of play and I just no. felt it was, you know, the way she caught her, the Armagh girl was going down, made it look higher maybe, you know, so. But in fairness to her, she responded really well, I felt, when she came back in and, you know, she's just not all about the scores, you know, there was a ball there in the box that she had no right to win. And you know she got down on it, and just you know she really gritted it out. I felt as that well. There's a different. Was it was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, it was phenomenal. But just her mentality being around for so long, because we mentioned it after. They are a very young team now. With a lot of faces that I wouldn't know anymore. Um, so just having that experience, and like you said, it's it's not sometimes it's not the scores. It's winning that ball that you mm-hmm. shouldn't be winning. Mm-hmm. You've no right to win. That's what actually brings everyone else on along the way but I suppose look, from a Kerry point of view it was great to see them win and they're probably due like we said they were knocking on the door the last couple of years were unlucky and they're probably looking at me now going well they won Division 2 and kicked on so maybe maybe a step too far from this year but you'd imagine that the four teams competing over the weekend all eyes are going to be on Championship obviously you have a few more Dublin aren't going anywhere um, what do you reckon Who who's going to come out with that? Make it interesting now. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> I, I, have a, I, I have a feeling the best thing that would have happened to Dublin is getting caught by um, Donegal in the semi-final league, personally. I agree. Yeah, and Donegal have ran them close, you know, the past couple of games. Like, mm. they met them last year as well in the, the quarter-final. Donegal are a tough team. Yeah. And I think Mead will be delighted to have come up against them now in the league final. You know, because I think they're kind of a different prospect, Donegal. And they're, like I said before, they're an extremely physical team. But um, also, you know, you'd wonder about yesterday, you were talking about Emma Duggan maybe looking a bit tired. I thought, like, I think Orla Lally has really stepped up for this Mead team mm. this year. She's one that... I was a super midfielder but this year I think she's just taking it to the next level but I thought she looked a bit tired too and you'd wonder as well in terms of conditioning and I don't know if that's changing but I know we would have always been aiming to be peaking come mm. summer championship you know so there's probably a lot more in all the teams yesterday you know I was wondering about Armagh as well I mean Blahey and Macken was flying in the first half and kind of went off the boil a bit in the second half so you'd wonder about fitness and that so I think yesterday was great for Meads to get that game under their belt against Donegal I'd find it difficult to look past Meads in terms of being there or thereabouts come the All-Ireland final again because I do think that they're just going to keep growing I think the fitness will come 
I think they're a really well organised outfit. I think Dublin will be there as well, of course. Um, I think, you know, Armagh always kind of start coming good sometimes in championship, but their their second half performance yesterday, I suppose, left you wondering maybe where, where they are, you know. Um, I'm not sure about Mayo either this year, to be honest, you know. So for me, it's going to be the likes of the Mead, um, the likes of Dublin, Cork will probably be being around there for a shake up but um, yeah I'd find it hard to look past me I agree, I, agree. I, I, I think um, especially after I suppose yesterday's game as well and um, I think they kind of are they are the benchmark now in that they're all Ireland champions obviously but their style of play and you know their strength and depth and they don't seem to be going anywhere. I suppose there was that question at the start of the year now, the pressure of can they replicate what they did last year. Um, of course Dublin will be there in about and I agree with you. I think the fact that they lost the league final um, will be an absolute, I suppose, driving force for them now that, that you know, to, to get back in championship and to get back in finals. And, um, and I mean, Dublin were the team to beat me this year in the league. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, I, and then after that, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I, I would like to see like likes of Donegal back contending for semi-finals and then finals again. Um, I'm not sure after that. And I include Cork in that mix of being not yeah. sure because I just feel that... Um, Maybe they're just, I suppose, settling and maybe a little bit. I, I hear using the term rebuilding. Do you know, I don't think they're rebuilding because they have a lot of the same players there. But I just think they're just, they just needed a, bit, a little bit more time, I think, to settle in in a yeah. system and with their, their new manager and so on. And and Mayo will always be there and thereabouts. I think Galway have gone back a little bit, if, I, if I'm honest. Um, Armagh could come in flashes. But another thing then as well is this whole I suppose debate over you know players coming back from the AFL season and whether they're going to be available and for some counties that will have more of an impact on than others um, and whether if they come back whether they're going to be leaving again I mean that's obviously been a good bit yeah. in, the, in the news this week <laughs> as well um, but you know, and that does have an impact on some counties you know um, and it will I think the likes of Dublin will probably if it was to impact them will, would recover from a quicker because of the strength and depth that, that's in the, in the ranks um, but you just wonder I suppose for others whether whether that could have an impact Yeah I suppose it'd be interesting as well will Eamon Murray be able to play the underdog card for the next <laughs> few weeks But even then talking about the match against like when he was talking about the league games I enjoyed that comment as well yesterday yeah. when he was saying about um, you know we've only been playing half teams you know seemingly we only beat half a Mayo team you know he's just I just yeah. like because he takes it he takes all the heat from the girls in that way He take the pressure he makes yeah. it he makes it what it is it's yeah. a game it's enjoyable no, I know we all want to win but he does he brings that bit of humour to it that can't make, maybe takes away the seriousness of it every now and again which is good Oh yeah sure. he's constantly like talking that. about the crack with the girls and yeah. that they get on great and sure they're great and you know but it does take a bit of heat off maybe not the AFL talk this week didn't take the heat <laughs> off but apart from that you know but nice I just, distraction Yeah 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 maybe you know but I don't know <laughs> I don't know <laughs> no. I don't know either Yeah <laughs> Um, so I want to thank my two guests today, Denise and Michelle. Thanks very much. It was a great chat. Thanks and so moving much. on, I'm delighted to be welcoming Orla Dwyer, current Brisbane Lion and Tipperary fo- footballer to the show. Welcome, Orla. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Now, um, I suppose you've had a big week. The first ever Irish woman to be in the All-Australian AFLW Team of the, team of the Year. That's amazing. Well done. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm still in shock myself. Um, it's great, I suppose personally um to get the recognition um would have loved to have been in a grand final last saturday but um no i'm delighted yeah it's it's been some uh some journey you've had uh since 2019 i know you were very close getting player of the year as well last year so it's it's just an uh, amazing upward curve you're on like and the buzz out there and like to be fair from uh an irish point of view i know most of the lads i know and we followed the AFLW more than the actual AFL because of all of you and all the all the good work you're doing. So there's a there's a great crop of Irish girls out there. Do you all stay in contact as well over, or do you kind of just stick to your own clubs? <laughs> um, yeah, it is, it is great, and it's it's great to see the Irish girls doing so well and kind of um, I suppose getting that recognition from home and lots of people supporting us. Um, I suppose we don't really see each other as often as we would. I'm, Australia's a lot bigger than I originally thought it was. So yeah. we kind of only see each other when we either play against each other in games or, for example, the awards last um, Tuesday. There was a good few Irish girls there that I got to meet as well. The likes of Ash McCarthy, Cora, Breed, Sarah. Um, so um, it was good to see the players then. But other than that, it's, it's only the kind of maybe um, handshake and hug and a quick chat yeah. after a game. 
And for, I suppose, for a lot of us that wouldn't know, how do you go from being a Tipperary footballer over to Brisbane? Because I know you, you took a different route, um, which was like, it was fascinating to me and it just showed the type of character you are. But a lot of our listeners probably wouldn't know the story behind you going over to Brisbane. Yeah, so um, originally, I suppose, um, I got in contact with Cross Coders. Um, they're an agency that kind of um, were helping international players playing up different sports to transfer over to AFLW. Um, AFLW is a very new game. This was only the sixth season. Um, so I came out the third season, so it was pretty new. And there was a lot of, um, I know what the competition would even look for, but um, seeing the likes of Cora Staunton, who went out two years before, and then Sarah Rowe, Eilish Considine, and Ash McCarthy went out um, the year after and just seeing how well they got on and they're obviously playing games and still using their Gaelic side as much as they yeah. could and were kind of thrown into the deep end and, and got on really well. So I kind of always wanted to um, have a shot at kind of being a professional athlete and seeing out that, that lifestyle. Um, so then I suppose I just applied for the cross coders and Jason Hill, who's um, the founder of it, kind of gets um, uh, like a profile made of you with maybe some running times and some footage of you playing camogie and football. And he kind of passed that through to different clubs here. And a couple of ones came back interested and I just kind of chose Brisbane in the end. And yeah. I'm happy I did. Yeah, it's it's funny, like the cross quarters. I think there's a young lad from um, Kerry that's actually out in um, America now playing American football as a kicker, actually yeah. through the same cross quarter. So it's it's a brilliant platform, like an Geez, the opportunities it opens up. But uh, I only found out there this week that you were actually born in Sydney, so you would have Australian citizenship. Would you have followed the game anyway, or is it fairly new to you as well? Uh, yeah, um, it's pretty pretty new to me as well. Um, I think when I saw a few of the Irish girls out here before me and the, the Irish guys as well, you, you kind of see the odd um, tweet or video about something they've done, maybe a solo or something unusual that... Um, AFL wouldn't be expecting um and yeah I just kind of followed a little bit didn't really know the rules or what it really entails in depth but um I kind of just decided then that I'd love to give it a try and I'm glad I did and yeah citizenship is definitely a bonus um yeah. coming out here my um, parents after they got married lived in Sydney for four years I think and I was born in the third year so having that citizenship definitely makes it a lot easier for me with even I suppose setting up bank accounts and SIM cards and like I'm doing uni out here now. So I've kind of transferred over college. Um, I was doing PE teaching in UL and now I'm doing business here. So that makes it a lot easier for me. And I suppose having other jobs as well. And it's just, yeah, it's definitely a blessing in disguise. Yeah, it's actually great that you can actually, obviously you're getting to live all of, all of our dreams, really being a professional athlete. But it's actually brilliant that you're actually able to balance that with doing the college as well and getting the education as well, which is brilliant. And I suppose you were so successful over here with Tipperary, Camogie and the football. You've played so many sports. Um, did you find the transition tough in terms of the training, even the workload, the different, I suppose, the expectations, fitness levels and all that? Did you find that tough at the start or was, was it something that just came naturally? Yeah, it was definitely tough. And I think moving me moving to um, a new kind of country, not knowing anyone and coming into a new team and getting to trust them and the kind of staff was um was challenging um at times. Um but I think more than physically it was more mentally hard coming out here and I suppose starting up <coughs> drills and kind of messing them up or not knowing simple things what to do or how to kick the ball right and kind of asking silly questions that everyone knows the answer to but you don't. Um that was probably the hardest part of the game I found. Um, physically, um, yeah, it was a lot. It's a lot tougher, but it's very similar running um, to what we do back home. And some say even we might run more at home, depending what position you play. Um, but um, yeah, for me, it was definitely just I suppose getting to know my teammates, getting to know the game. I remember just watching lots and lots of vision with the coach and just getting used to how to kick the ball correctly and even bouncing the ball. I still can't do that properly at the <laughs> moment, but um, you can yeah, solo. just little things like that. <laughs> yeah, it's actually the ball is the, is the one for me, like in like camogie and football and, you know, soccer. You, I know you played soccer and basketball. You know, it's a lot easier to be with the round ball anyway. And it was always the big thing for me is it's like a whole new kicking technique. And yeah. like, I know people are on about the punt kick here and, 
I still find it difficult to do the punt kick. So was it something that you just had to have a ball with you at all times? You had to rules ball and be practicing when you're at home as well, just to get used to it, or or was it a case of you know too much would be you know you'd be sick of it, or was it something that took a lot of effort even between trainings? Yeah, it definitely took a lot of extra time. I remember at this when I first came out here, they gave me the small little ball you give kids after a game yeah. just to kind of get my hand position right and eventually got to a bigger one and then finally got to the proper ball. But yeah, even now, like the last even year, how much my kicking has improved is phenomenal. And it just shows that when you do keep practicing at it and I suppose getting used to it and, and staying playing and, and kicking that's what really improves. But oh, the balance of it can still go anyway and yeah. it's frustrating at times, but you just have to kind of um, read the game and, and kind of just adjust yourself to that. And I'm going to go back to the AFLW All-Australian Team of the Year because I, I, I kind of want to highlight that because it's such a big deal Like, and you probably don't realise it being so far away even over here, how much is being made of it. Like, and The first Irish woman to ever do it, like... Uh, it must be incredibly exciting. And was it something that was on your radar? Did you did you think in your first couple of years it was something possible, or was it you just played the game and kept improving and it just came with it? Yeah, definitely um, was a shock to me. And I think each season I um, could see myself developing better and becoming understanding the game more, which I think is a big thing. Just having experience from games, and I think this season I really just. Um, just really took that on, grasped onto it and being in a new position and just being around the wing more and understanding my role better um, definitely helped. But each game was the same. I just went out and tried to do best I could for the team and get a win at the end of the day. But um, yeah, no, it was just, it was great hearing it and even being selected in the top in the Australian squad, which is originally 40 and then they cut it down to the um, 21 was, I was um, so shocked even being that. So um yeah, no, it definitely is um, something I'll always um, cherish. And even the support from home, the amount mm. of people that have told me and congratulated me has been great. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. Like, um, it's something now that it must be brilliant for all girls over here at the moment that are playing camogie or football to know that there is an option of professional sport for them because of all the skills that you have from the Gaelic games. And obviously the season's over now. Um, what What is the plan in the off-season? Do you just spend a few weeks, do you be a bit of a tourist or do you get ready to come home and tune into Tipperary or what's the plan? Yeah, it's a bit, um, it's a bit, I don't really know my plans yet, um, what's going to happen, but the next season is actually starting, hopefully, I think the end of August, they're looking to push the season up further. Yeah. So that would mean a pre-season starting sooner. So the off season will be pretty short, but um, for me, I, I'm going to have to um, fix, fix up my injury. So I have a bit of a shoulder injury that I have to get fixed. Um, so I'm getting surgery on that this Wednesday. Um, so that kind of rules me out of action for a couple of um, months. But um, I shall be back for um, um, for round one, um, all going well. But hopefully can make a trip back home as well in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I can imagine uh, rest and recovery is a bit easier where you are than where we are at the moment. <laughs> and do you find with the season changing, with obviously with the pre-season going to be a bit earlier, will that affect, I suppose, the the amount of Irish girls coming over, maybe the pressure on them to stay around. Because I know um, the meet manager, Eamon, geez, Eamon Murray, wasn't too happy uh, during the week. And I suppose the timing of the game initially was great because they'd played a season here and then they'd be over to Australia for pre-season. Do you think it's going to affect the amount of girls going over? Um, I think it kind of just depends on what, um, what the athlete wants. So obviously... It will be hard and probably impossible to play both um, like we have been the past couple of years. But um, I think everyone kind of get should get the opportunity if they want to um, live out a professional lifestyle and give AFL a chance. I think they should at least try it. And with the new season coming in, with the new teams coming in, that's an extra 120 new girls coming in. So I can definitely see a lot of Irish girls being approached and wanting to um, give it a try and I think it would be great even just seeing, I suppose a couple of years ago, you never would have thought that women could make it professionally and make a living out of playing a sport on the other side of the world. So um, to see that growing every year is huge. And I think um, a lot of girls really want to give that a try. And um, it'd be interesting to see who does come. Yeah, I like that. I suppose could just come back to him and Murray because I, like, I found his comment a bit strange, to be honest, a bit disrespectful. And, you know, he was saying it was dreadful to watch. There was no skill in the game. And like we talked about earlier, just to, 
the skill and getting used to another ball, something that was totally overlooked by him. You know, obviously, he met a lot of the Irish girls in the last week or so. Would it have been something that she talked about or would you have paid any attention to what he was saying? Because, look, it seemed a bit sour grapes that he's losing one of his best players. But like you said, the opportunity to go live in a country like Australia, be a professional athlete, it's just an amazing opportunity. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I actually didn't see um, much about the comments um, that, that have been made, but um, it's hard as well when you, people don't understand the sport, mm. um, looking at it from kind of the outside and not seeing all the work that goes in and what preseason looks like or what a game's like in real life compared to watching on a TV. Two very different things, which my family said when they came over, they couldn't believe the difference. But um, I think everyone kind of has their own opinion of that. And I think they just need to give the game a chance and, and see what it can do and the opportunities it does open up for female athletes is huge. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just different and everyone has their own opinion, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose that's the thing. And if you get into arguments with all of them, you'll be, you'll be just wasting time. But I suppose <laughs> looking ahead to next year, obviously you have, a, you have an injury to get over. Um, You'll be looking to... You couldn't defend your title, unfortunately, this year. But I suppose the plan is get back into the to the grand final again and keep kicking on. Yeah, definitely. And hopefully with new teams coming in, we get to keep majority of our group, um, which would be great. And yeah, the girls here are fantastic and the coaches as well. So um, yeah, it's a quick turnaround. And I think we're all looking forward to getting back into it. And it was obviously hard watching the game on Sunday, on Saturday, but um Fair play to the two teams and it just kind of makes you really want to get back to that grand final stage again. Yeah, and I suppose I had down in my notes there a lot of the Tipperary listeners would be hoping you might be back for the season. But obviously with your injury, that's not going to happen um, this year. But I suppose you're probably at the moment just living year by year and enjoying the journey you're on. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, um, do you ever think about it maybe two, three, five years down the line coming back and playing camogie, playing football with Tipperary or is it kind of off the radar for a while you're just concentrating on what you're doing? Uh, um, yeah, it's definitely I'm on Putting the Putting pressure on you now. I, <laughs> I love playing um, with Tip and coming back, playing with the girls and it has been the sport I've been doing all my life and um love getting back into it and, and just um, how, how supportive everyone is with that. But I suppose I'm just living... Um, day to day as it is when I'm in Australia I kind of focus on AFL and mm. when I'm home I usually just focus on playing with tip and that's my priority so I think we'll just see how the next few months unfold and the next season too what it might look like but um, definitely nothing's ruled off the cards and I definitely want to stay playing all the sports as long as I could so um, we'll see how that turns out. That's good and I don't think Tipperary supporters would be too happy with me anyway but uh, look I just want to say a big well done from everyone here at uh, the GA or um, we're following your progress and along with all the other girls well done it was an amazing achievement um, everyone over here is very proud of you and uh, we'll be watching all your uh, improvements over the next couple of years and hopefully there'll be more Irish girls coming over because it's great for us and it's great for all the girls over here seeing so many Irish girls doing well and like that, you're living the dream. You're living my dream anyway. So uh, best of luck with the injury. I hope the shoulder heals up well. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you kicking on again next year. Great. Thanks so much for having me and for all the support too. It's been great. No bother. Thanks, Orla. I'm going to round up today's show and I'm delighted to be joined by Sports Joe's very own Lee Costello. How are things, Lee? Hey Darren, not so bad. Um, thanks for taking me off the bench here for the last ten. <laughs> we were stuck. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I, was, I seen in the running order. I was Plan D, I think. So <laughs> that's always coming up. But uh, a lot of GA news this this week again. Uh, awfully making headlines for all the wrong reasons, which is surprising because they've done an awful lot right over the last couple of years. But I don't think there's any getting over this. No, um, this story has me perplexed. <laughs> Um, basically, the four kids had been dropped from the Offaly Under-14 County panel because they missed training to go to a football game, a soccer game. And so they've just been dropped just like that. And this this annoys me in so many ways, and I'm going to tell you about all of them. Okay. <laughs> How long do we have? Not long enough. <laughs> uh, basically, you know what, I'm going to start off, I'm going to make a really sweeping generalisation here, okay? Um, there is nothing in this world that is more sensitive than a middle-aged uh, coach of one of these development officers You're or whatever aged. they are. A lot of them are. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> <middle-aged>. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> because every time I write a story about like 
uh, I'm interviewing, say, like a, 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 a what do you call him? Not a therapist. <laughs> Uh, psychologist, oh, sorry. sports psychologist. That's the one. One, one of them, or, or like even about sports science and stuff like that. And if you ever dare mention the word like player burnout, um, they're straight into my Twitter DMs or on the replies, and they're all like, "Oh, how do you even define burnout? They take it so personally for some reason." Yeah. And then they're talking about like, "I suppose you'd rather uh, all the kids were obese." And it's like, "Yes, that's what I'm saying. I'd rather all the children were obese, you know." But um, it's just a ridiculous, ridiculous thing. The fact that the kids had to sign a code of conduct like a contract you know and they're now this is under 14 so these kids are anything from 12 to 14 years old and they had to say this code of conduct and it says like if you miss so many training sessions or miss a training session you know you could get dropped and it's sort of fair enough but like they have to the parents fill out a form Can when I you do stop you there I don't want to see how it's fair enough because at 14 you're reliant on your parents or your yeah. aunties uncles neighbours whoever it is to drop you to train. so a lot of it's out of there Control. Well, that, that's it, yeah. But, and that's Well, that's what they were going to say. Uh, so you, you get your parent to write a thing, like they can't make training because of this. And that should just be it. You know? yeah. And the parents did do that. They were like, yeah, they've got a, a soccer game. It's a quarterfinal. It's important. And they're only missing training. Like, it's not like they're actually even yeah. missing important match. They're not even choosing sports. Like, matches trump training. That's just always yeah. been the way. They're 12 to 14 years old. It's just it's just the way it is. Was it like an FAI? It was a big soccer game too. It wasn't just like a yeah. normal league game. The, exactly. And I mean... I think awfully the whole point about it was that, you know, they're trying to teach them like commitment and stuff. But sure, you are committed. They they started that soccer at the start of the year, obviously. They've got themselves into a position where they're in a quarterfinal and there's they were still clearly going good enough to get mm. into the county um sort of development team panel and stuff. So that obviously committed in that sense. Um they did everything right following that code of conduct or whatever it is, you know, filled it all out. So and they were still dropped. I mean, I don't know what it, else. The fact that kids are having to sign a code of conduct just maddens me. Yeah. Um, talking about kids and burnout maddens me. Um, play sports, whatever it is. Um, I I just think it turns people off sport, no, making no. them choose something. And you look at most of the best sports people in the world; they've, they've played every sport under the sun. Yeah, and most of them are very good at. It. Like if you have a player in Offaly or wherever he is, and he's excelling at soccer or rugby, great. Mm-hmm. He's going to bring them skills with him to your sport. Yeah, it's all transferable. Oh, like it annoys me. I don't know. Is this a common thing now? I don't think it's down in Kerry, and I've never heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but anytime I hear of anything like this, it seems to be in a county that shouldn't be pushing anybody away. Exactly. If that makes yeah, sense. You know, they should be bringing everyone in, and it, right if they have to share them with another sport, grand. But like, you shouldn't have to choose your sport until you get to a certain age mm-hmm. where, and that's only if you're at a certain level where, right, this needs a bit of commitment, full-on commitment, and then you should choose. But obviously you're older then and you can't balance everything. But when you're looking at kids 12, 13, 14, 15, even 16, play it up. I genuinely, it annoys me, to be fair. It is. It's so frustrating. And funny, um, about a year ago, I interviewed Paddy Talley about something similar. And he actually doesn't believe there should be development squads. He just thinks minors, there should be a development squad mm. for that. But anything underneath that, um, all that money and funding and like focus should be put towards schools and just really bring on school football. Let the kids play for their clubs and then let them play all the sports in the world until it gets to a certain stage. And you can see the value in that, to be fair. And I'm, I'm not saying we should cancel all development squads. Cause I've never heard that before, you know, but I, I, it makes sense. I don't see why... Under 14 seems too young, to yeah, be honest. But you're... You're losing players even yeah. there because they're like, oh, I'm not good enough for the under 14. It's Late divisive, development. Yeah. yeah. And then you have other people then that think, well, I'm on the development at under 14, 16. I'm going to be there. And they kind of slacken off. Yeah. Because it's not, I'm at the top table of my age group anyway. Yeah. It's like, I've never heard anyone actually say that before, but for me, it, that actually does make sense. It does, yeah. Put the money in, like you said, to the school's football there, you know. Um, and the word development is, is important in it too, because if you're picking a 13-year-old in terms of development, Sure, who are the best thirteen year olds? The ones who grow early. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like more often than not, like um smaller fellas like ourselves, you know. <laughs> we, we, I I could still be under thirteen. Vertically challenged. <laughs> but like, you know, so then you're picking up these guys, you know, yeah. earlier than they need to be, and they're maybe not as good as they need to be. So like you say, they neglect the skills that they actually need to be focusing on because they think they're ahead mm. of where they actually are. And, you know, it has a detrimental effect. And then we're talking about, oh, if you're gonna lose them to soccer anyway, just cut them out now but it's like they're 12, 13 I mean did Lee Keegan not play rugby at a really high level mm. uh, for most of his like adolescent years and then he decided you know at some stage when it came to it you know, you know football is where I'm going to go yeah. and 
like we're all really lucky to have him but like would he be the footballer he is today if he didn't have all of them experiences with rugby yeah and sure look even Tony Kerry there with Donaghy uh, Kieran was always basketball yeah. got to a certain level with Kerry obviously put his eggs into the Kerry basket but as soon basketball uh, as soon as he finished with Kerry he was back to the basketball Yeah, and he's balancing basketball with a high level of club football to be fair and he's pushing 40 yeah. do you know like I I can't understand it. To be honest. it. It is. It's annoying. It's frustrating. I don't know what the end result here is for Offaly or what they're looking to achieve. Yeah. Because the way I see it is not only are they possibly losing the three or four lads they've dropped, they might be losing a lot more because they'd be getting fed up and they could be lads in the under 15 or 16 development squad go, do you know what? I'm pretty good at soccer. I might just stick to that because they won't put me under the same pressure and I can play away at my club and I don't have to worry about the county thing. Exactly, yeah, you know, and it's that sort of freedom of choice, isn't it? Because that, what Offaly have done now is that they've basically discouraged these four lads from going back to football. Mm. Like, was we would you, do you know? And, I, and I'm getting it because I wrote a story about this earlier in the week and I got a lot of emails. It happens in soccer too, it happens in rugby too. I know, I know, but we're not saying it. It's, it's not an attack. It's not a competition about yeah. who's worse than who. We just know this for a fact that this <clears> happened in Offaly and, you know, you've got all the facts and stuff. So you think you have to highlight it and you have to hold them accountable and you have to hold the GA accountable, you know, that this is being allowed to happen. I think it's going on for a while. I um. I do think people are obsessed with picking one sport very yeah. early. I remember um, years ago, I was above in, um, I think it was actually Tyrone. Um, I was working for the bank and the bank was sponsoring the Ulster Vocationals Schools Competition mm-hmm. above and I was doing a Q&A with Michael Fennelly from Kilkenny and we were both off the back of winning the All-Irelands and we were both captains. So we were brought around to the launch of this competition and um, there was a Q&A, as I said, and I had a man put up his hand and, yeah, I have a question for Darren. It was a case of, oh, you played soccer and you did athletics and rugby and GA, and, but you focus on GA. Will you tell my son that he needs to drop everything else and start committing to the... And I, I of course, I disagree. I said, no, can't go along with that. Um, play as much as you can for as long as you can. When you get to a certain age, after you can't do it all and pick which one you enjoy the most or, or which one you're better at. That was grand. Got a bit of a clap. <laughs> Q&A finished. Jeez, your man came up. He gave me an earful. Really? You never supported me and what I was have to say. And I I was tired. No, at this stage, and I said, yeah, but I didn't agree with you. I'm not just going to go along with it, whatever. Then the photographer came over and said, would you like a picture? He put his <laughs> arm straight around me. <laughs> but I just, I, I don't agree with it. Play what you can. Play. It's mm-hmm. sport. Enjoy it. And when you get to a certain level, and a lot of kids don't get to that level where you have to take it seriously, yeah. which is county level or high level of rugby or soccer, or whatever. A lot of kids don't get to that level where you actually have to choose because of burnout. A lot of us choose because you just don't have time for everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I just think by telling someone that they have to concentrate on a sport to 14, if they lose interest or fall out of love with that game at 18, it's hard to get back into sport. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what like, it? You know, the obvious thing about it too is that they're teenagers. The more you tell them to do one thing, you know, the more they're not going to yeah. want to do it. They're just going to rebel. They do the opposite. Yeah, exactly. So just let them pick and whichever one they, you know, they'll find their own way. That's just it, you know. Um, like anyone who has young kids, you know, they take them to the football and all and hopefully they enjoy it and stuff. But it's quite often when they go to school, make friends and whatever their peers are doing, that's what they go off and do. You know, yeah, and that's totally fine. Like that's their own. with your friends. It's about yeah. enjoying, about being out there. Like for me, it's about just being active. Yeah. Get out there, get moving, whatever sport it is. Once you're enjoying yourself and you're physically active, doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's hopscotch out in the yard or whatever it is, but play away. But I suppose it is the GAR. Yeah. Tyrone are out this weekend, this Saturday. Start of the championship. Feels a bit weird, to be honest. The yeah. league is just over and you're going into championships. The Very condensed soon. season is really condensed. Tyrone have a couple of injuries, mm-hmm. a rake of retirements. Yeah. Um, look, they finished the league strong, but still, it's hard to know. It is, yeah. It's 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 a tricky one. Um, now they're up against Fermanagh in the preliminary round, and like we talk a lot about it, like Ulster Championship being super competitive, and obviously it is. But Fermanagh would be you know, without offending is one of the weaker county probably in in Ulster, but uh, still a potential banana slip. You know, um, Tyrone are missing. Well, they might be missing Peter Hart here to get a surgery on his appendix so he's recovering from that uh, 
Fergal Logan did say that you know there is a chance he could play and stuff, but he'd be a big miss because he's probably been the most consistent player throughout that whole league, even in the games. You know, he's been outstanding. To yeah. be fair, you, it's actually hard to say where he's been playing. <laughs> he yeah. has just been everywhere, and I know that's the type of player he is. He's a bit kind of free roll, but mm-hmm. defensively he's been strong. His link play has been outstanding, and some of the scores he's kicking, you would you'd expect the marquee forward to be doing it. Week in, week out. So yeah. he's been brilliant. He'd be, he'd be a big loss, but you'd imagine if he's after having surgery and you're playing for a man, like you said, it may have potential banana skin, but I wouldn't be risking him. No, I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. Um, and then after that is Matty Donnelly, who's struggled through the league with mm. injuries. He had a shoulder injury pretty much all of the league. I think he got playing maybe a couple of games. Yeah. And now I think, from what I've read, he's tweaked his hamstring, so he's rehabbing that. And that, that would be a bigger miss than you think because Matty Donnelly. I think, like, if you go back to like 2016, 17, 18, then seasons, he was the marquee man. You know, he was yeah. so important for Tyrone to play well. Matty Donnelly had to play well. That's how reliant and they the other, were on him. The other thing is, Carl McShane isn't exactly. playing well. No, it could be the game that he needs. He's insightful forward, might mm-hmm. kick a couple of scores, but he hasn't. He hasn't kicked on. I think people are expecting him to kick on this year um, after being a bit of the impact sub mm-hmm. lash or whatever. But it hasn't gone that way for him. No, not yet, not yet, and. Because them other forwards have all left, your mm. Lee Brennans and Paul Donahue's, you know, there's there's less impact coming from that bench now. And so you're starting with Cattle. And like you said, for man, it could be the perfect game for him to burst into life. And then yeah. he, he goes on a great run in the championship. But you, if you're Fergal Logan, you'd really like to have Matty Donnelly there in, as a, as an option at least. Because when it's not working, you can bring him in and, you know, he can... Because like, people say he had a bad season last year, but he was fantastic in the second half against Donegal. Mm. Um, he got man of the match in the Ulster final against Monaghan. And that game against Kerry... There, one of the goals came from a turnover in the middle of the park where he was just running relentlessly up, won the ball and then sprinting back down and um, I think he helped set it up in the end, you know, and it's, it's that stuff sort of off the ball and we just, it'd be great for him to get a run of games for Tyrone and, and yeah. get back into the to the way of things, but um, on a more positive note, uh, Brian Kennedy missed the Kerry game, but it looks like he's going to be fit to play, so we've him and Con Kilpatrick in and around the middle, which is important and then the best news probably for Tyrone is that Michael O'Neill, who yeah. hasn't played a single game in the league, but was integral to the All Ireland winning yeah. league or championship campaign, so he's back to full training, and it's just a matter of, you know, giving him minutes when you can yeah. and things. And, and maybe like we said, in. probably the great, great game to get the minutes yeah. in. From a Tyrone point of view, all the retirements, what's the talk up there? Like, is is it a case of? I'm always torn with it. Is it a case that they have their All Ireland medal? They don't think they'll win another one, so they don't think it's worth the effort. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Or is it a case that they have elevated opinions of them themselves and they feel they should be on, which I always find, we always think we should be on, but to actually pull out is disrespectful to the players that are actually getting on mm-hmm. ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just wondering what the feeling is around Tyrone and these players are leaving. Is it a case of that they, they just think they should be on? Or is it a case of maybe they don't believe that Tyrone will win the All-Ireland this year and they just don't want to put in the effort. Yeah, well, in Tyrone, the rumour mill is ferocious, to be fair, and I yeah. don't want to start spreading rumours. Do spread like, away. Oh, well, uh, the big one there a couple of weeks ago was that Conor McKenna has definitely left the panel as well, and that's the next big thing, but I haven't heard anything yet, so touching wood, and Conor, if you're listening, just come out and squash that, <laughs> please. <laughs> um, but I, I'm not too sure. A lot of it, like, sometimes you just have to take it what it is, and it's isolated incidents. Um, we talk about people leaving the panel and stuff, but really... Only Lee Brennan and Paul Donaghy, have they only left the panel like mm. mid season. you know, to be fair, Mark Bradley, Ronan O'Neill, Tiernan McKeon, Michael Cassidy and all that was it was before the season started, you know, they won the All Ireland stuff and then they said they're not gonna do it this year. They did a big run for it last year and they don't see themselves being involved, which is fair enough. But it's the fact that yeah, um the the Paul Donaghy one's really weird. I find it so strange because the league's done. The mm. McKenna Cup's done. The league's done. Surely that's the hard part. It's a condensed season. There's no you know, training. Yeah, I mean, they could be out in two games anyway, like mm. theoretically. Do you know I mean? It could be over before you know it anyway. So, like, it, that's that's how rumour mills get started because mm. there's obviously an exterior reason, you know, outside of that. And maybe it is black and white or really simple, but I, I find it very confusing. Um, I heard Darren McCurry sort of call a few of them out in a... On a different podcast, but when I say I don't listen yeah, to yeah, the yeah, podcast, no, no. and other all our listeners don't listen either. So, and <laughs> um, they're very loyal to us. But he was saying that he thinks that they took the easy way out. So, like you know, the drone camp aren't happy with him no. either. And of course not. 
Unfortunately, that's all we have time for in today's show. Big thanks to Lee for coming in. Um, and a big thanks to Denise and Michelle and from Orla who came in all the way from Australia. Looking forward to next week's show where we'll have a bumper preview for this year's championship. Join us then and we'll see you next week. You're listening to the GAA Hour with Darren O'Sullivan on Sports Joe. The final whistle is all over. Jim Gowan, Jason Sherlock embrace. Dublin are the history makers. Today, Sean Kavanagh, who is a brilliant footballer, but I tell you what, you can forget about Sean Kavanagh as far as he's a man. O'Sullivan, oh, that was absolutely brilliant. What about that for skill from Darren O'Sullivan? Give him a call. It's high, it's over. Will he ever get a more vital one than that? The transition talk, I think Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Well, Joe Bradley, what do you think of that? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.